Oh my God, we've gone from walking the walk <laughs> to using apps to using AI. We've done the whole spectrum of storytelling. Uh, where are we now? We heard Sasha talk about justice, and I want to just bring this topic up. Uh, how does storytelling relate to justice, and what is the role of stories in our strife for justice? Uh, anyone wants to go? Ibn and uh, Sophia, you are welcome to go as well. <laughs> I, think, I think you touched on something central to me, at least. Um, of course, you can also you know, ask what, what's the meaning of justice, but I think um, this, this, uh, this tendency we have to, to just tell single stories, that we're either a hero, either a villain, we're a Muslim or a Christian, or I think um, storytelling has the potential to just introduce all the multiple facets of all of us. So I'm a dad, I'm also a white guy, I'm also an app builder. And I think um, the amazing part of storytelling when we talk about justice is when we can start to get all those nuances in. I think justice is also something that's also shape-shifting along with times. Um, for some people, justice is just a compensation from the government, a small monetary compensation hey, I got less, you got more. For some others, it's about technological advancements. For others, it's something else. And I think that's where the listening part comes in. Um, yeah. Nice, thank you. I'm curious, yes. do you, how do you see justice? What does justice mean for you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think justice is about equal rights, like, um, it should be everyone has the same rights and everyone should get justice if they're unfair treated. Um, so, yeah, that's justice for me. Nice, thank you. Sophia, do you want to add? No, okay. Uh, <laughs> do you feel like um, that's happening when you, I mean, if you're on Instagram or whatever, like, um, does everybody get represented the way they should and so on? I think it's very easy to misunderstand each other on social media. So it's important to, if you're unsure of something, then ask the person, like, be honest and, um, yeah. <laughs> nice. That's a good one. Thank you. Uh, I want to open up for questions uh, to the audience. Yes. Uh, Mike is coming your way. Uh, do say your name, affiliation if you want to, and your question. I stand up because it's nice to know who was yes. speaking. Yes. I'm from Denmark. I come from a small island. I'm very curious, Marie Kiel. I will challenge you and the audience because I'm so driven into your experiment of creating a robot. So my question to you is, what is your consumptions with the electricity on creating a robot? Because that's another hidden part we don't talk about in this room because we're so driven by the designing. 
So we don't think about the waste and the resource we take out to be in the future. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so super glad you bring that up because that's also uh, an important point in the model selection. One of the reasons why we're not so happy with using OpenAI because it doesn't give us so much control over where the energy comes from that we use for a project. So we did a, a lot of calculations before we launched this, and uh, it's, we published a background article that explains a lot of our thinking on this project, and it also has a section on energy consumption. So like, if you're interested in that, read there for, for most detail, but like, what I can tell you now is it is energy intensive. It's important to keep in mind. It compares to other work with computers, though. So we kind of said it's OK. It's kind of like doing several Google searches or maybe going to work in an old car. That's kind of where the energy consumption for one of our texts comes out. But it's, yeah, it is a, a part of the project that we're thinking a lot about and where researchers or people working with these models have a lot of choices. So you can, for example, when you train a model or when you use a model, uh, you can do a lot of things to maybe try and use hydroelectricity by using servers in Canada instead of using servers in China, where it's most likely more carbon intensive. Uh, so yeah, thanks for bringing that up, because it's super important. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes. It's coming your way. Just a moment. It's coming from there. <laughs> I can stand up too, so you guys can see me. I'm uh, Rufus. I'm a recently graduated design student, and I have a question for the Duckling team. Like, I feel the problem with news on social media specifically is misinformation, right? And it's just going to be exacerbated with deep fakes and AI and stuff like that. So I'm wondering what your take is on that, and maybe if gatekeeping, like, to some degree, is actually necessary for journalistic purposes? Super good question. And the short answer is we've arrived at a place where we think, yes, to some degree, gatekeeping is necessary. Um, we did a, a, an early version where we thought, OK, this is a community thing, and you know, gatekeeping should be a way it should go. And we had all those issues. Not so much with fake stuff, but we had varying degrees in the, the quality of the content and like some people would just post some ridiculous image and and then the people that had like really great content wouldn't be in the network so what we're working with now is an approval process where you um if you're not approved as a duckling journalist you can post stuff to your to groups you're a member of and to people that follow you but you need to go through an approval to um to be able to post to everybody. So you go through a little mini journalism course and answer some questions. And then you have to do a few stories that get approved by the rest of the commu community saying this is actually insightful. It's, we, have a, we have different ways of giving feedback so you can mark the story as insightful or um, uh, too biased or these these different things so we have a data set and and then once you go go through that you get approved and you can publish to the entire community and then we're also working on this coin concept um, which is actually part of the whole business model so we thought how can we reinvent because um, 
uh, paywalls are just not really working for, for, for you guys. Um, and we're really inspired by gaming, Roblox, uh, Minecraft, and so on, where there's a whole economy in enhancing what you do digitally, and then you can earn coins and you can use coins for it. It could be a long answer. It already is, but, but, but we're building this model that are going to reward you if you help um, uh, get the network, rid, rid the network of, um, of, of fake news and so on. Um, so, yeah. Thank you for asking that question and bringing that up because I feel like it's, it's less of gatekeeping and we're talking about editorial work, which you, Marie, mentioned like you had to do a lot of editorial work for your uh, <laughs> new AI writer on the team, uh, fresh out of school, uh, has never written a story, uh, maybe never went to school. Uh, and uh, you spoke a lot about editors, and uh, uh, so it, this this is the sort of editorial work which we're placing a lot of importance on. Maybe do you want to comment on bits of that? I mean, I'm very grateful for that question coming up because um, in any conflict, the first casualty is truth, and the messenger is the one who's killed during the siege of Sarajevo uh, between 92 and 95, the first building to be bombed was a telegraph building so that no news could go out. Uh, Kashmir has been, uh, had, had no internet for several months so that there was no news getting out. And it doesn't have to be dire places in conflict, but it's just for all of us that we need veritable information. The very fact that large numbers of journalists are killed because they are the messengers because the messenger is being shot at. Um, the reputation of a journalist is in, uh, has dire consequences for reporting something wrongly. And we have to bring the ethics of the print edition, where something that's gone on print stays there forever, versus something in digital news platform where, oh, you can just tweak it quickly. But then the whole practice of the previous edition of this article misreported this that's going down. So it really comes down to humans to make that moral judgment. And we need that journalism as the fourth pillar of democracy, without which there's no democratic principles within our institutions, within our countries that can stand tall. We need those truth bearers. Whenever there's a fire, that's a saying that it's only firemen, police, ambulance, and journalists who go towards the fire, because we are giving the first draft of history. So. I think everything to do with machines and subscriptions models are important because it's in our best interest as citizens of society. Uh, machines and everything else can only support it. Thank you. Uh, do you have anything to say, Marie, or I open for another question? I don't think I have anything to add there. What I'm, what I'm realizing is that in all of our talks, it's yeah. very much about participation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's maybe maybe a takeaway that it's just about like no matter whether it's the writing or the editorial work mm. or gatekeeping at whichever stage, mm. uh, it's important to look at who is participating. So I think it's great that young people are participating in your project. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's also when you talk about gatekeeping, I think there's you know, an old model where you need, needed to go to journalism school and get a job at a, some kind of newspaper or whatever and have a business card. And I think we can soften out that model. So now it's more about your merits and you can actually get access to be a journalist. And uh, I mean, the funny thing is, uh, journalist is not a protected title and it didn't used to be an industry. Like the word publisher comes from 
from public from public houses, pubs in the U.S. because uh, in the the U.K. or pubs in Ireland. Yeah, or in Ireland. Come yeah, yeah. So so you would you would sailors would come into the yep. pub and read from the logbook of the ships, and that's how it became a publisher. So interesting. But you, you wouldn't give a surgical tool to a first-year medical student. No, no, for sure. There's like a yeah. there's something you know. It has yeah, to be sure. there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have a question there. Uh, Marcus, I have a question. Uh, talking about the gatekeeping, this morning we heard the problems about uh, if the gatekeeping is done by like a very simple algorithm, um, how do we avoid that we put in AI or machines as gatekeepers to make it easy for us? Uh, how do we keep control? Great, how do we keep control? Can we solve this on stage right <laughs> now? <laughs> I think we won't, it's but about, we can try. No, but it's about responsibility, right? It's about seeing AI as a tool. Mm -hmm. uh, we're already working with computers for a long time. So in a way, we're giving some control to computers, like we're even electricity, when the electricity runs out. We're, we're dependent on all the technology that we work with. But what I think is problematic in some of the current discussions is that some people working on AI, they like to pretend that it's its own thing that has its own responsibility and that can take control. In my view, AI cannot take control because it's not, it's not a thing. It's always a human designing the system, operating the system, deciding when to use it and when not to use it. So I think that's what we should do is hold the humans accountable. And, mm -hmm. and that's why participation is so important to me because like, I want as many people as possible to be involved in this discussion, right? And not just have tech people in California and some in, in China decide how these systems are going to look like. But we all should form opinions on that, no matter how, how much of a technological background we have. And then we can demand, like, here you should uh, use AI in this or that way, and here you should please not use this system, or here's a system that you need to improve. Yeah, so it's about us, again, about our responsibility. Yeah. Control the machine, don't let it control <laughs> you. I'm Thank wondering you. with you guys, like, um, yeah. how much how many stories would you say you get from other from friends that post it to you or, and you share stuff and how much is just something you're fed from a machine so when you when you get new content cool stories and so on so on how much do you get from friends that just share it with you and how much do you share to others and how much is just from the algorithm when you scroll through stuff Oh, we share a lot of like different news. We just press the little bottle and send to our friends, and that's just yeah. So I think we use it a lot to like share the news if we think it's exciting. We like take a screenshot and send it to a group and stuff like that. Um, I think the news I get is just something that pops up. I don't get much news from my friends. It's just something that pops up, up on my screen, like on Facebook, and then it's a link, and then I click on the link and read the story. So I don't get a lot of stories from my friends, but it just pops up on my screen. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Yeah, because I think that's part of it. We have to create this like collaboration yeah. machine humans and, and build it into the networks right. so it's and easier to share. Yeah, and uh, also ask like, how does that algorithm work that recommends mm -hmm. stuff to you, and who's designing the algorithm, and who's totally. participating in that design? There's a really cool podcast that New York Times did, where they interview the guy that did the YouTube 
algorithm that that recommends you new stuff after you you um, you saw on news, uh, YouTube. And he tells a story where he's on a bus and he's like observing these people watching news uh, YouTube and um, to see how his invention works. And he's like, oh my God, they're just being you know tunneled down into this this uh, thing where they get more and more and more and more of the same and it's not what I wanted to do. So he goes back to YouTube and he re-engineers the algorithm so it does the reverse. It, it tells you like, now you've been watching all this right-wing stuff, you should see some left-wing or whatever. And he presents it to his bosses at Google and they're like, nah. what? Please reverse it and by the way, you're fired. <laughs> so he gets fired. Uh, Google has a tendency to fire the people who uh, ask them questions. I'm <laughs> sorry we have someone. Uh, I think that's How it. many are here works for Google? <laughs> no, I think, I mean, Google, no. Google is also amazing because it actually hmm. made the internet possible. I don't know if you remember back when we couldn't search for web pages, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's time for lunch, <laughs> and there's vegan lunch.